And with that sound, gentle listeners, we welcome you to episode 137 of The Cool Room. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, David Griffiths, and if you didn't recognise that sound, it's the sound of the roar of the bull moose from Sim City 2000, uh, a fantastic uh, computer game with no relevance to today's episode, other than we're going to be calling to uh, Torboy and Moose and speaking to Steve Germain from there about some fantastic beers. We'll be getting underway with that episode soon, uh, but I really want to encourage you to head over to our Shopify store uh, and grab the tasting pack for this episode. It's excellent value. There's 11 different limited release beers from Torboy and Moose uh, in the pack. The pack's $69. Uh, it includes all the beers we're talking about tonight, including the 20% Eisenbach. Uh, you know, great value to think that you've got that and 10 other beers in a tasting pack for $69. Uh, and it's a really important way of helping us keeping the podcast going. Uh, there's a whole lot of expenses that we have as a podcast that probably most podcasts don't, uh, including things like having a liquor licence, having accountancy packages and all sorts of other bits and pieces to make sure that we're doing everything above board. And so we need to sell the beers to make sure that we can afford to do all that kind of stuff. Uh, so head on over there. It's a great way to support us. Uh, grab the tasting pack for Torboy and Moose. Have a look around at some of the other great uh, tasting packs we have with the Canadian brewers like Town and Collective Arts that we've got on the show at the moment. Grab a tasting pack for some of the events that we have coming up and join us live uh, during July and August as we talk to Black Arts as we talk to Prancing Pony, uh, and as we talk to the third brewery, which you think I'd have right off the tip of my tongue, and it is Noodle Doof. Uh, so really fantastic to have all of those three breweries included in our July tasting pack. Uh, help us out by doing that, and uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook so that you can stay up to date with all of the live events, uh, so you can come and join in those, just like many people did when we were chatting with Steve from Torboy and Moose. Uh, the audio is a little bit funny in this one. Uh, overall, it's pretty good, but if there's a couple of little glitches along the way, please bear with us. Uh, I was doing my end of the recording from a hotel room in Sydney uh, while the rest of the gang were back in Melbourne, uh, and that means that there's a couple of little odd bits of sound with my son playing Fortnite in the background. Uh, but hopefully you can bear with all of that because it's a great episode, lots of fun insights from Steve, who is very much a friend of the podcast. He and the gang from Torboy and Moose have been on a couple of times before, one of our very first episodes he was a part of, and uh, go back and check those out as well. We try not to cover the same ground in each of the podcasts, uh, and very much you'll hear the story of the brewery's evolution if you go back and check out all of those previous editions as well. Um, I reckon that's enough from me. I'm going to throw to my good friend, Mr. Warren Wu, and we're going to get underway with this episode, 137, Steve from Torboy and Moose. Here we are. It's episode 137 of The Cool Room. Uh, it's going to be a very fun night tonight as we welcome back one of our very first guests and one of our very good friends. We'll get to that in a few moments' time. Uh, I just want to welcome everyone in the Zoom room and on the podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, David Griffiths. I'm looking out the window at sunny Sydney tonight. Well, maybe not sunny, but um, a little bit dark out the window, but looking forward to enjoying some great craft beers with some of the cool room team up in Sydney this weekend. 
The main reason I raise that is because my son and I are in the same motel room and he's playing Fortnite at the moment. So if you hear sounds of explosions or uh, gunfire in the background, don't worry that there's been some terrible incident in the back of the call room. It's just Blakey playing Fortnite. Uh, so hopefully you don't hear him. If you do, that's what the sounds are. Warren Wu, you're in the Wu cup in the Wu cupboard. Hopefully everything's good over there. No extraneous noises tonight, I trust. No, no, not that I, not that I'm aware of. No, I think we're good. Yeah, I think everything's everything's well here in my cupboard. It's uh, yeah, it's freezing down here in Melbourne, but that's to be expected given the time of year. Um, good, good evening to be sitting around drinking tall boy and moose beers. I reckon. It yeah. just feels like we've we've hit the right brewery at the right time of the year. So yeah. great to have them back on. Um, and we're starting with the cracker. Um, this this uh, so a cracker of a guest or a cracker of a beer? Both. I think both. <laughs> I think we can quite. I think we can include both. Uh, but I've I mainly I've mainly experienced the beer. I haven't quite experienced the host yet. So I mean the guest yet. So we'll we'll get to that in a moment. But yeah, the Warrell Seed Amber Lager is uh yeah, that's a that's a pretty fascinating beer to start with. So we'll look forward to having a look forward to having a good chat about this. Um we should introduce our guest. We should introduce Canadian Steve, shouldn't we? Or we should get Canadian Steve to introduce himself. Hello everybody. Should yeah, we do that? No worries. Yeah. All right, so from Tallboy um, and Moose, Canadian Steve. Hello, and thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> I'm Canadian Steve, also known as Moose, um, the Moose of the Tallboy and Moose duo, I guess. Uh, it's all coming us. together. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm one half, well, I'm one of two owners of Tallboy and Moose, and um, yeah, we're a brewery in Melbourne and in, in Preston. Um, and we've been going for just over five years, um, making, making beers and running a brew pub. Um, and, um, that's kind of the, I guess the, the short story. Um, we it pretty much wraps up everything we wanted to talk about. So anyway, <laughs> it's been great to have you on. Yeah. <laughs> we make lots of different beers. We make lots of different beers with fun ingredients. Um, uh, we like to experiment with ingredients, but we also, we try to make beers that are relatively approachable and, and easy drinking and well-balanced. Um, and so, yeah, tonight we'll, we'll look through a couple of different examples. Um, every, well, actually three out of the four beers that we're, we're chatting through have a, uh, I guess what you'd call a, a weirdo ingredient or two. Um, one of them doesn't, one of them's normal. Uh, in in terms of that aspect but um and that's that's the ice box but it's it's not normal in terms of you know the process um and and we'll talk more about that later um but yeah first first up is put a boot on which is a wattle seed amber lager um and um yeah it's i don't know it's uh, it's actually there, there's two loggers in the lineup tonight i guess the ice box is also uh definitely a lager um, but um, this one is a little bit more cruisy, and so it's a good place to start. Well, let's, before, before we romp too quickly through things, we should say to people who are listening to the podcast, um, first of all, 
going through all the bees that we're going to taste tonight is an option. So the Eisenbach and others, if we if we have all of those bees, we're probably going to be knocking off about 10 standard drinks or at least seven or eight. So don't feel the need to do that. Feel free to pause the podcast uh, if you're listening to the podcast version and savour each of the bees and enjoy them fully. And um, also worth saying that if you are planning to sort of drink along as we go, um, the, the Eisbach and you know, maybe nearly all of them, maybe even the, the, the black can just about come out of the fridge now so that you're getting all of those flavours in the most full-on way to experience them uh, as Canadian Steve talks about them tonight. So just a little sort of note if you're playing along at home. Yeah, and um, and what I also mentioned to David earlier was the Icebox. It's a small 250 mil can, um, it, but it is four standard drinks in that little uh, baby can. Um, so it does, uh, and, and, and yeah, it, it, it's quite a big beer. Um, so, um, literally if you're not on holidays in, in a state where your electorate isn't, then Mm. probably, you know, it's important not to indulge in that one too heavily. Um, but, but based on the style of beer it is, and because it's, uh, quite low in carbonation, um, as it is packaged that way, um, on purpose, um if you open it and have you know a little bit and then stick it in the fridge it'll be perfectly fine to drink you know tomorrow um Mm -hmm. so you don't have to drink the entire can all at once um it will you know have less carbonation when you go back to it and you know the next day or whatever but it still tastes you know still tastes really good um so that's an option if you want to taste it as we as we play along, but uh, not necessarily drink the entire can. That's probably what I will do to be a constructive uh, person in the morning. I, yeah, I think that's excellent advice. So yeah. people people can make their decisions now about yeah. you know, how they wish to listen, how they wish to enjoy the beers. But you know, with with such fantastic beers, we encourage people to to make sure that they can actually taste them and enjoy them, rather than going on a mad flurry of all of them and, and not really getting to, to taste them because by golly there's some fun things in the lineup tonight there's mm. some fun things in the whole 11 pack that we have uh from Torboy and moose so we'll touch on that as we go along um steve you've been on the podcast a couple of times we've known each other for a long time you were our second guest ever in episode two you came back uh in lockdown for episode 53 but for people who were just tuning in for the first time, particularly for all of our international listeners. Shout out again to Norway and all of these lovely places that I'd love to come and visit sometime. I really just want to do a, a, a pretty rapid-fire catch-up on, on your story in particular mm. and just that genesis of the brewery for people who haven't listened in uh, and haven't, for shame, gone back and listened to the archives to catch up on, on all the, where, we, where the story starts. But tell us your story. You're Canadian, Steve, and... Ironically, uh, from an Australian point of view, you actually come from Canada. It's not some weird name that you from Mexico, and so we call you Canadian Steve. You're actually from Canada. Tell us, tell us a little bit of the Steve origin story. Yeah, so I guess um, the sort of the, the beer related long story is that um, I worked for uh, a fairly large brewery. I guess I would call them like the Coopers equivalent in Canada. Um, that was my first beer gig as a brand manager and um, well, assistant brand manager, then brand manager. Um, 
got a redundancy package uh, during the, the GFC back whenever that was, you know, a little over a decade ago. Um, and, um, and then did lots of travel, ended up in Australia on a working holiday visa and, um, and wanted to get, you know, at that time, you know, I had started sort of that, that time off of work. I started dabbling in some home brewing, um, got really into craft beer, I guess you'd call it. Um, it was sort of a, a period of time where, you know, uh, the, the idea of craft beer was pretty new, uh, a little over 10 years ago. And there were lots of really small breweries that seemed to be popping up all over the place. And I thought that was really exciting. Um, when I first landed in Melbourne, I called all kinds of different breweries um, to try and get a job. And one of those breweries, and arguably the one that I was probably the most excited about was Moondog. Um, way back then um they were a fledgling you know probably three person operation and um they were brewing on old dairy equipment and they were making beers um well the beer that they were brewing when i went to go um hang out with them was called the great american challenge and i think it was a shiraz barrel aged Belgian Trappist kind of thing. <laughs> um, a lot of their beers were real sort of bastardizations of style, and um, and a lot of them were um, pretty wild and in, into mm. concept. Um, and so that really excited me. And um, I went um, and and met up with those guys, and um, they invited me in to hang out. And I met one of their production. Well, one of their their only employee, um, apart from the the, the owners, um, was Dan Hall, and he is a tall boy. He is quite a tall man, I guess you'd say. Um, and so, yeah, we met at, Ma at Moondog about ten years ago, um, shortly after I'd landed in in Australia. Um, he was working there. I was looking for a job. I didn't end up getting a job with them. Well, they weren't hiring at, at the time. And, um, and yeah, we just kept in touch and, um, and, and a couple of years down the road, I guess, started, started brewing together and, um, yeah, started a nano brewing operation, um, on a very small scale brewing sort of 50 to 150 liter batches. And, um, and we realized that wasn't viable. Um, it wasn't a you know, a viable business model, let's say. So we, um, we stopped brewing, went on hiatus, and then we built a business plan to do Tobway Moose. Um, so to do a, a, a larger brew pub um, with, a, with a real, uh, you know, I guess a scaled up brewery um, that was more than 100 liters or whatever. Um, and um, yeah, our first brew house was, I from memory, I think it was about 1,500 liters or about 12 to 1,500 liters. Um, so around 12 hectoliters. Um, and, um, and sort of, we've been around for a little over five years. I can't recall exactly, but maybe halfway, you know, after two years or two and a half years, um, we scaled things up a little bit and put in a slightly larger uh, brew house that's around 2,000 liters, um, and we put in some more fermentation tanks and 
yeah, that's that's the sort of the quick story of of me and coming to Australia from Toronto. And um, <laughs> for, for, and for listeners at home, Canadian Steve is showing us his Toronto hat. It's a Blue Jays beanie. Um, His Toronto hat. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then um, yeah, so came over from Toronto and 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 just kind of got stuck into the beer scene in Melbourne straight away. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the the quick the quick story, I guess. I, I reckon Warren's going to ask a few questions about your Melbourne time in a moment, but just before we move off Canada, and I know you've sort of been gone for a while now, but we're still having. Uh, a Canadian little theme going at the moment because we've just had Town Brewery on, we've got Collective Arts on in a week or two's time. How does it feel to sort of see, you know, the Canadian beer scene changing? And, you know, do you have any sort of thoughts about those breweries in particular or more just how Canadian beer is evolving and changing and, you know, compared to the Australian scene? um, Mm. Collective Arts are are killing it they, they've done a great job um and they're making some really really solid beers um there's two breweries that really well probably three but I'll, I'll i'll keep to two breweries that really stand out in my mind and they're kind of on two opposite ends of the spectrum um like the canadian beer scene's amazing there's so many really great breweries and and to be honest Having been in Australia for 10 years, I'm not even up to date with the who's who and what's what in terms of what's going on over there. Yeah. It's hard to keep track. Um, and and yeah, like, you know, I haven't been back in um, probably four and a half years. So that's a long time in beer land. Um, and um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot that I've certainly missed. But every time I go back to Toronto, I always go and try and check out as many new places as possible. Um, so on one end of the spectrum, um, is a really awesome brewery that many may have heard of called Unibrew. And, mm-hmm. um, tell us, Unibrew, tell us a little bit of that story because we're not, so Unibrew, uh, or you may not have heard of them. So they're like the pre craft brewery. Um, they're, um, they're based in Quebec. Um, so they're in the, the French speaking province mm-hmm. and, and I don't know when they started. I believe they're actually owned by Sapporo now, um, and they have been for some time. Um, but um, they were brewing like really, really well-executed Belgian-style beers um, before craft beer was a thing. Um, and um, and and so they've actually really created like single-handedly created a really really strong culture of brewing um interesting belgian style beers in canada um Mm -hmm. and it's it's funny because you know there's there's not a lot of breweries in australia that that do that some breweries will dabble with belgian stuff here and there um but you don't find a, a heap of you know um breweries that are very focused on that um but in in quebec and in Canada, there's there's significantly more of that going on, and um, yeah, it's just it's 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 all because of this one brewery uh, called Unibrew. Um, they make really good sort of triples and quads and um, and uh, and things like that. So 
that's, um, you know, they're kind of like a precursor to the craft beer scene, if that makes sense. They're OG, big time. Um, yeah. And so a brewery of note, um, if you used to be able to find their beers every once in a while at like Purvis or the odd, you know, uh, beer shop like that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think you see them around much anymore. It, it was really... It was really striking, even just in talking to town the other day, that their sort of story about, you know, but it's so familiar to, I think, Melbournians in particular, but Australians of that sort of moving out to the suburbs because that's where you can afford to get enough space and starting a brewery, even if it wasn't your sort of dream location, uh, that just the, 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 the sort of pockets of breweries start to, to pop up. So, you know, it... it Probably is worth saying it wasn't on our question list, but we we normally ask sort of brewers to explain the suburb they're in to overseas mm. listeners. How do you think Preston has changed since you first got there, and how would you you know if you had a hundred words to explain to someone from outside of Australia, you know what Preston is and what Preston has become in the last five years? Yeah, I guess um, you know five years ago maybe even slightly more than five years ago, uh, Preston was kind of very much on the northern cusp of the northern suburbs of, of Melbourne. Mm. Um, and I guess was kind of an up and coming suburb to an extent. It's directly north of Thornbury, which is an awesome suburb that's always had heaps of going on, like really good uh, restaurant bar scene in sort of Northcote Thornbury. Uh, there's a main street, high street going north and you know, you've got Thornbury, uh, sorry, Northcote, heaps going on. North of that, you've got uh, Thornbury and then north of Thornbury's Preston. And so it was kind of on the cusp. And um, when, we, uh, when we were starting, uh, let's say six years ago, getting set up, um, we thought that it would be a great location because there's a bit of warehouse space up there. You can find buildings of decent size. Um, there's heaps of residential around, um, and there's also sort of an existing um, restaurant and bar scene on High Street, even though we were setting up slightly north of where most of the action was. Um, we were close enough to the action to sort of hopefully tap in to, to that. Um, and um, yeah, so, so that's... Um, that's that's Preston, I guess, um, and it's a it's it is a high growth area. So mm. uh, directly across from the brewery, there's a giant apartment building going up. Two doors over, they're doing the same. Uh, like if the area of High Street where we are, there's literally like you know four or five new apartment buildings that have gone up in the past couple of years, um, and there's more coming. So it's uh, it's densifying for sure. Yeah. Does it, does it worry you that when all of these apartment buildings go up, people must look at the brewery and go, gee, that looks like a lot of em empty space in inverted commas? And go. Um, <clears throat> it, it doesn't really worry me too much right now. But it, we'll it didn't until I said that, did it? You know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I was going to ask the opposite question. I was going to say, does it kind of excite you? Because it, it means yeah. that like there's a lot of people... And at least a couple of those people will want beer. Yeah. And yeah. given that you're a brewery, hopefully 
they come and see you and that would be perfect like it it almost cements an audience for you i suppose in a lot of ways yeah look we've we've always sort of thought of ourselves as like a local kind of watering hole i guess Mm -hmm. for the neighborhood uh and so you know if there are let's just say thousands of people moving into the into the immediate neighborhood that's you know that that's good news for us um it's also we... a great insight into the difference between how warren and i see the world so you know, <laughs> yeah, totally yeah, yeah it's like i don't know why i've still got yeah how, how like i haven't been beaten down by the defeat the business kind of sometimes brings brings you the same way as david seems to be but i don't know <laughs> um uh, it's yeah but yeah them them terminating my lease and kicking me out because they see an opportunity to develop a a, a business on my property uh, on the my leasehold would be uh yeah it would be something i totally wouldn't think about for some stupid let's reason. talk about the beer warren yeah let's talk about the beer like we should as opposed to just dissecting our, our the terrible trauma of the businesses of we've been involved in have inflicted upon us let's talk about i love the, the color of this a real <laughs> um, there's just a um, quick question in the chat about whether we own the premises. Yes. No, we do not own the premises. We have a what I guess a, a medium long-term lease. Um, however, our very kind landlord has sort of said if he's ever, you know, if he's ever made the decision just... to sell, then he would offer it, he would offer it to us first, um, yeah, which awesome. is sort of you know respectful and um and and we definitely appreciate that um you know would we take him up on that offer i don't know it'd be Mm. pretty 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 pricey i reckon so um yeah but but if he owns any other properties let me know because i'm happy to work with any landlord that's like that on pretty much any project i I generally landlords often give you the the first run of reply i think because they know if you're gonna ante up the money then that's fine and it's a quick sale but if you're not a lot of the time they'll find someone else i reckon maybe in high street preston it might be the case see this is where yeah this is where that that our our business minds differ again david let's go back to the beer because i'm really excited like like yeah i'm really excited about this one um i think it's delicious mark in our chat one of our regular guests who we love having on and ask really interesting questions wants to know um what the wattle seed brings to this beer and i think that's a really good question to start on about talking about your your wattle seed amber amber lager yeah so um Wattle seed is an interesting ingredient. Um, it definitely has a unique character, but when you talk about wattle seed to people, at least um, you know when when we were talking about initially brewing this beer, I actually didn't really know what wattle seed itself tasted like yeah. uh, until I tried some. And it's not an ingredient that is you know, you use in everyday cooking, let's say, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's it's a it's a native Australian ingredient. And it's actually a bit of a cottage industry uh, growing wattle seed. Um, mm. It's 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 not sort of farmed to a significant degree at all, uh, even in Australia. Um, so wattle seed, what we've used is a roasted and ground wattle seed. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, it has 
quite an earthy and nutty character to it. Um, And um, on its own, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's very earthy and nutty. And Mm -hmm. in this beer, um, it, it probably, it's, it, it definitely brings, um, um, yeah, uh, it, 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 it is a distinct character, um, that, that, sort of sits alongside the malt profile of the beer mm-hmm. and um and yeah adds a different dimension to it um in an earthy and nutty kind of way uh, um, so <laughs> if anybody can taste anything moderately earthy, earthy and nutty <laughs> that would be the one <laughs> that's the water feed bit yeah which, which kind of makes a lot uh, you know what it sort of does make a lot of sense and it, it brings it brings me to my next thought so when you say amber lager have you just is this kind of just like a lager, but you've used amber malts, which are also quite earthy and nutty? So it's an um, earthy and nutty kind of fun little lagery thing. Is that what, or is it more technical than that? Um, no, like um, from memory, I'm just going to pull up the recipe because um, that's always the best way to mm-hmm. uh, be correct in what I'm talking about. Um so this is kind of based off of a Vienna lager-ish kind of base. Um, so this beer is 47% pale malt, 41% Vienna. Uh, there's about 11% um, Cara Munich, which is a crystallized Munich malt. And then there's a sprinkle of black malt. Um, for Ooh, color yeah. Um, yeah. color adjustment, so the black malt doesn't really bring a whole lot in terms of flavor, but it it it, it, it it's there to build depth of you know color, mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah, so it's basically pale malt Vienna and Cara Munich. Um, so the the Vienna malt uh, does tend to bring a little bit of toastiness, and then mm-hmm. Cara Munich will bring more um, sort of to- more a, a deeper toasted biscuit and a little bit of sort of caramelization um, in terms of flavor profile. So we definitely wanted to have malt that was going to marry well with the wattle seed. That was sort of the intention. Um, And, um, and so, um, yeah, we, I guess we, we could have called it a wattle seed Vienna lager. um, But I think, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's not exactly to style, I guess, in terms of Vienna. So we just decided to call it an amber lager instead. Yeah. And, and I imagine people who have a very clear idea about Vienna lagers are very clear about that belief, probably in that style more than a whole lot of other ones. That, you know, amber or amber lager, you can probably get away with a whole broad spectrum of things. Yeah. If you put Vienna lager on something, there's a very clear expectation about what's, what's going to be inside the can. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, in, in this one, you know, um, there's, yeah, there's, there's definitely some, some, some good, uh, a good level of malt complexity. And I think that the wattle seed really melds in well, uh, with, with the malt profile, um, to the untrained palate, you know, if you don't know what wattle seed tastes like, you know, you might not be able to pick it. But if you do, if you have ever had the opportunity to taste wattle seed or roasted wattle seed in particular, 
um, then I think you would be able to pin it down pretty clearly in the beer. Um, and, um, and then, yeah, you've got just a nice, crisp, clean sort of finish. Um, pretty, pretty cruisy, pretty easy drinking. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to go back to the beer name and not necessarily the Wild Seed Amber Lager bit, but the Put a Boot On. Um, oh, yeah. I love, yeah, I love your beer names. They're always, they're, if, if they're not just outright hilarious, they're always a little bit mysterious. Where, so where's the origin of this, of the name for this guy? So we didn't uh, name this beer, actually. Um, so this, this is a collab with a gentleman named Kev, Kevin Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kevin Williams is a Wiradjuri artist. So mm-hmm. he's, um, he's, uh, he's an Aboriginal artist. Um, he's got uh, a studio in Gunbower, which is a little bit outside of Echuca, um, mm-hmm. several hours um, outside North Melbourne. Um, and, um, and, and so Kevin approached us, uh, Kevin is also a wattle seed farmer (laughs) and, um, and he approached us, um, with the idea of making a wattle seed beer. Um, and, and so we said, Hey, look like that, you know, great idea. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. Um, we're on board for that, but like, we just saw this as an opportunity to sort of tell a little bit more of a story, I guess. Um, And, um, and the fact that Kevin, he, he himself, I would argue is a storyteller. Um, And, you know, he's, he's got, if you ever, if you were to ever meet him or talk to him, he talks a lot and he's got a lot (laughs) to say and we like those kind of people and he's got a lot of stories to tell and this was one of them and so we were sort of spitballing like you know kevin what do you want to what do you want to call this beer and you know and then he goes for another half hour about you know some some different ideas but this is one of those ideas put a boot on is um it's a story about um his father and grandfather that was told to him by uh, an Aboriginal elder that was that was friends with his father, mm-hmm. and um, and um, so this is in a an area called the Sand Hills where they were, I guess they were they were staying in a a, a, a tin humpy and um, and and so his grandfather kicked the door in and said put a boot on, I want to talk to you. And it was like this kind of, um, I guess it was just an expression, put a boot on, let's go talk outside, you know? Um, and um, and I guess we thought it was, it was kind of a, he had some, uh, some artwork that was related to the story um, mm-hmm. that would be fun to use and that we used on the label. And, he also, um, you know, we were, you know, beer is very, is, is sort of a conversational beverage, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and we thought that was sort of a cool, you know, a fun connection um, and uh, a little bit of a story that connected to something that, you know, can relate to beer in a way, um, but would also, you know, connected to his background and and his artwork and where he comes from and um and yeah i guess like you know 
uh, Wiradjuri culture and, and that sort of thing. And so we, we really wanted to try and tie all these things together. And, and we thought it was a, a cool idea um, to try and sort of have Kevin tell that story, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, wonderful. I reckon, you know, even if you're listening in from the other side of the world, like without question, we see it in the data every time we have you on. You know, there's going to be people in Canada listening in. You're not going to be able to get your hands on the beer, but, but look up the label. In fact, we're going to talk about the labels and the branding a lot as we go along because your branding is is iconic. You can hold it up to the camera as much as, they, as you like, but that's not going to help the good people of Canada listening in two or three weeks' time after I've corrected all of my mistakes. Um, but it's a great-looking label. Even just the, color, the background colours of it or else are so evocative of, like, Australian sort of countryside. So that is my attempt at a segue, Warren. To starting to move on to yeah, time to move on to another beer with their fantastic label. It was a good attempt to uh, 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 it was a great attempt to segue. The problem was I was too busy looking at the label, trying to take in everything you were saying. Um, sorry, David. Well, we're about to open the deep steep. Mm. Uh, I think it's fair to say, and um, let's let's sort of talk a little bit more about amber ales, amber lagers. Yeah. You know all of those sorts of things. Um, the amberness. We obviously we understand, you know, the basic premise that it's about to do with colour. But what else should we be sort of getting that is similar from this beer to the last beer, lager into ale? But you know, what what ties these beers into a continuum? I guess it's easier to talk about. I mean, the colour is similar. Um, it's probably easier to talk about you know, what's, what's different, I guess, than mm. what is, is similar. Um, I'm just, uh, yeah. yeah I, I, I was actually going to ask, is it this, obviously it's not the same malt bill for both. No, quite different, actually, like yeah. totally different. Um, and so even though um, I'm just opening my deep steep and. Um, I must admit, I've been on the deep steep for, for kind of the, the second part of those questions for the, for the wall seed uh, amber, and and yeah, I'm I'm amazed at kind of yeah how much there yeah, it is a it's a richer the, yeah it's a richer beer and in in some ways kind of uh, in a lot of ways almost it's a heavier beer but also a smoother beer. It's got a little bit of like like that caramel really comes through. I think a little bit more. Yeah. More, yeah, smoothly, I suppose, is a is a word we could use. Um, there's kind of a cola element to it as well. And I'm not sure, and we have mentioned the 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 special ingredient in this one, which is chamomile. But yeah, there seems to be like a cola element potentially from the 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 multi kind of more caramel flavors and the chamomile. Well, I guess I I, I don't disagree with that at all. Mm -hmm. um and um yeah i guess this this beer is built on uh base malt so ale malt uh medium crystal and cara cara malt um um and so there is definitely um there's more the use of of uh something like a straight up medium crystal is going to give you more toffee and more um, sort of straight caramelly mm. character. Um, and um, 
this beer is significantly more bitter. There's a lot more uh, hop character contributing to this beer than the lager. Um, and, um, and then the addition of chamomile as well. It carries a very different balance um, mm -hmm. and, and a different delivery, different finish, you know, front to back. It's, it's mm. even though they are quite sim, you know, they're almost, almost identical in color. Um, they've been built completely differently. And, mm. and they're actually both, they, you know, they're both, one of them's 5%, one of them's 5.1% mm. uh, in terms of ABV weight. Um, they're very similar. Um, but yeah, I find them to be, you know, yeah. quite, quite different in the way that they, you know, the way that they drink, for example. Yeah. 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 Where I'm, I think, yeah, for me, the Waddle Seed, the Waddle Seed uh, Amalaga just kind of has a, a real thirst quenching kind of, you can gulp it down less so with this, but still there's, yeah, that I think your toffee is a good call. I think there's mm -hmm. definitely like a caramelized sugar thing going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's really fascinating. It's really fascinating. But you spoke about the hops, the hops, is that is that one of the 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 things that you really consciously wanted to to make different in this guy? And how does that work with chamomile being kind of a more floral charactered uh, addition as as opposed to the Wolsey? Um So this beer is it's kind of meant to be, uh, I guess, what I would call it's it's sort of in deep steep. It's sort of I kind of think of it as a a really well integrated three way marriage of uh, malt hops and chamomile. They mm -hmm. they all kind of tie in together a little bit. So chamomile plays in in a lot of beers. You um you know you've got malt and you've got hops and mm -hmm. you can they, they they do interact with one another, but they you know. I guess the the flavors that they bring are often, you know, quite separate in balance to one another. And the way that I've always thought about Deep Steep is that chamomile is kind of playing a bridge in between the two, mm -hmm. tying them tying them together. Um, the the character has um, some notes that that tie into the malt, and it also has some notes that tie into the hop. It's really um, it's really interesting that that flower and um mm. i i kind of think of it it's it's a little bit weird it's almost a little bit marshmallowy um yep. and um and so it's got this kind of perceived sweetness that ties it to the malt profile but then it is a a, a flower you know a tea flower and yeah. and and has some floral characteristics that that ties it into the the hot component of this mm -hmm. beer um so this beer is made with cascade um yep. and um and and um and it's not been dry hopped so it's not meant to be like a it's not it's not um like know, a hop forward the, kind the of hops, style yep. yeah the, the hops are not super aromatic um mm -hmm. there is some late kettle editions of cascade um but it's definitely got sort of a a firm bitterness uh it is an american amber um so it is supposed to have some definite hop character. Um, and um, yeah, the chamomile is just an interesting little link that sort mm. of 
ties it together, um, which is kind of cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, are there, so we've had Wolsey, then Kevin Wild. Are there any, and we've had lots of, as a matter of fact, yeah, over the, over even our discussions on the podcast, we've had a wide range of, of different ingredients. Um, have there been any that you guys have, 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 have come across that you would not use again? Like there's no interest in trying again. Yes. Um, I've got one in mind. Um, and that's, uh, well, never say never, you know, mm-hmm. um, but one one ingredient that we probably abused uh, in a beer was wormwood, um, and so um, we made a yeah we made a Belgian beer with wormwood, and it was full on. Um, wormwood is uh, is very bitter, um, and it's got a real kind of medicinal uh, characteristic and. Um, and so, yeah, that was probably, um, that's probably one that, you know, I'd be careful with. Mm-hmm. And in, in the right application, I think um, it, it, it was a really fun beer. It was very divisive. Some people really liked it. It was incredibly bitter and some people really didn't like it. So, yeah. yeah. I find that a fascinating answer due to my upbringing in a family full of sort of pseudo herbalists because chamomile and wormwood and rue and all of these things are those sort of strewing herbs that used to be used for very similar purposes in you know sort of medieval times in terms of things that you'd put in the house just to take away you know the the other flavors and so forth so it's not a million miles in one sense from yeah. chamomile to wormwood. Yeah. Although wormwood um, is just obviously that way more intense version. Yeah. There's and 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 to be honest, like, you know, there's so many of those kinds of ingredients that we haven't used yet that I would love to. Um and um you know one one ingredient that we've never done that I've it's that that I've always wanted to use is gorse. Um Gorse is like a, it, it's a flower that you can forage around Melbourne at the right time of the year. Um, and I think it's meant to bring kind of like coconutty kind of characters. Oh. Um, and um, yeah, that, that sort of stuff, um, you know, I, I, I'm, we, we, you know, collectively uh, are super into, yeah, those sorts of interesting um those sorts of interesting in ingredients and having to play. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I like it. What time, just out of interest, what time of year does, does Gorse come out? Um, uh, no idea. I'm sure I, I, I've looked it up, but I can't remember. Oh, yeah. No. All good. Yeah. Anybody in the chat? Yeah. I'm just wondering if anyone. Eh. Strikes me as one of those sort of springtime maturing and yeah. summer kind of things, yeah. but I might it be. Might be. Yeah. I might be making that up completely. Let's be really clear. Don't rely on David and his supposed knowledge of those things. <laughs> Speaking of David's lack of knowledge of things, um, I'm fascinated. I think we've sort of gone through a really interesting time, particularly in Melbourne, but in Australia more generally, the world during COVID. Um, 
in terms of how people's tastes have changed, what they want from a beer has changed. We went through uh, in that sort of first couple of big lockdowns in Melbourne, desire for large format, heavy alcohol beers, um, because people didn't have to get up and go to work the next day, let's be blunt. Um, what what sort of styles have you seen changing and how important are those sort of core range beers that, you know, we've had on the show with you before, um, both at the brewery and just in sales generally? Where do you see sort of the market going in core range versus really interesting limited releases just like this one? I think that, um, I mean, this is just my opinion, but um, I think, I, I definitely think that um, through the COVID lockdowns and ups and downs and roller coasters of, of, of life, you know, in the past couple of years, um, there's, there definitely seems to be, there's still interest in, in a lot of the super hardcore beers, but um we've seen more traction with things that are a little bit more cruisy, I guess. Um, and um, uh, I don't know if it's, um, if it's just me, um, but um, I've definitely, you know, been more uh, steering more towards, you know, your go-to four pack or six pack kind of stuff. Um, and there's obviously uh, been a big uptick in alcohol-free beverages as well. Mm, uh, you know, the alcohol, alcohol-free beer scene has has kicked off big time. Um, yeah, so it's um, we're we're in and we're in um, we're in a we're, we're, things are always changing. You know, it's really hard to uh, it's really hard to to keep on top of it all. Sorry, I've got a I've got a cheeky kid. That's okay. I think I think <laughs> bugging me I think here. Every, everyone who's speaking on the podcast, at the very least, has a, has <laughs> a, has a cheeky, cheeky kid. kid. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. The other question, the, the obvious question as well, is you know, what's it like trying to balance family and business and all of these things? And I'm I'm not being I'm not being facetious when I ask that. You know, it's a it's a challenge. We we love to sort of pull the curtain back on trying to you know what it's like to run a business and have a family and you know, sit in your bedroom and do this kind of thing on a Thursday night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's, 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 it's tricky. It's a balancing act. It's tricky. Um, and um, I think it's, 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 you know, uh, I, let me think now. Yeah. I mean, my, I've got two kids, the oldest is four and a half and we started our business, you know, yeah, I guess we started working on it about six years ago. So um, there were there was a period of time that was child free at the start, and um, I, I I personally was probably working longer hours at, at at that point because we didn't have a as 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 solid a team. I guess um, we were we were a fledgling scrappy little business um, where you know, when we opened, Dan and I were working behind the bar. We were, you know, Dan, Dan was brewing. Um, I was, you know, out on the road doing wholesale, selling kegs. And, and we were both on the bar as well. We were kind of, we were doing everything, you know. Um, 
we um, when we first started, it was just the two of us. And then we ended up hiring one person to help uh, help out on the bar and in the brewery. Um, and um, yeah, so we were literally, you know, a three person operation and we very slowly and organically sort of grew from there. Um, we're still quite small. I mean, we've, we've grown in scale a little bit, but um, now we've got roughly, um, you know, uh, 15-ish employees. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, you know, we're, we're that, that, that's significantly bigger than three, more than three, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And so I guess, I guess now, you know, that, you know, uh, I, I've got a, a small family. Um, I try to be, I try to balance things more than I did when we first started. Um, when we first started, it was just like, yeah, really intense, uh, 150% all go, no stop, you know, working all day and all night. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and so, um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of what small business is about in uh, trying to get it off the ground anyways. Mm. Um, but um, it's also about, you know, trying to ma maintain some kind of work-life balance and, um, and have time for, for family and that kind of thing too. So um, yeah, it's definitely moved in that direction, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it it's, makes still a, it's still a lot of work and, um, you know, it's still sometimes working all day and all night, every once in a while, but um, yeah, definitely less than when we first kicked off. Yeah. That makes total sense. I'm going to use that as a segue into a little five-minute break here in the uh, live Zoom room, which will uh, allow me to take care of some of my responsibilities uh, in the motel room here with Blakey. Uh, and um, why don't we all attend to those kinds of things, attend to the fridge and getting whatever beers we need to have ready to go. And we'll come back in five, maybe ten minutes, and, um, and be ready to go to talk about uh, the last two remaining beers out of the 11 beers in the amazing tasting pack we have. And while we take that break in the live episode, uh, a little reminder from recorded David here uh, to go and not only check out our Shopify, not only follow us on Facebook and Instagram, uh, but also please do subscribe to the podcast, uh, a really great way of ensuring you never miss an episode, but also a great way of us being able to demonstrate to breweries who we're asking to come on how big our listener base is, because that's the kind of thing that excites breweries, particularly overseas breweries. So if that's the kind of brewery you like to listen to, subscribing is a great way to help us out. Okie dokie, having said all of that, let's go back to Mr Warren Wu and Steve Germain in the cool room. Great. So I thought we could finish off uh, our discussion about the Deep Street with um, Steve telling us why he decided to choose this beer for the light-up, because it's an interesting choice for the light-up. Appropriate because, you know, it's it's cold in Melbourne at the moment, uh, and this this really has a lovely warming effect. But, yeah, why 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 the Deep, why, why the deep Street? Um, well, Deep Steep happens to be one of the first beers that we released at the brew pub um, uh, as Tallboy Moose. It was within, when, when we first opened in October of 2016. Um, 
we had four beers on tap that were uh, Tallboy and Moose beers. We also had a couple guest taps. Um, but the four Tallboy and Moose beers was a, a beer that we, was called Table Beer. It was, I think, three and a half percent hoppy thing. Um, we had a beer called uh, Cream Ale, which was a traditional style cream ale. Uh, so uh, North American style. It's an ale that's kind of built like a lager. It's crisp, clean. And, and for us, we made that beer because um, we didn't know who was going to show up. We didn't want to have uh, a, we wanted to have a, a fun kind of iteration of pale lager, basically. And so uh, we thought we were real clever by brewing a cream ale. Um, it kind of ticks that box. If someone comes in and says, hey, I just want a beer that tastes like beer, um, we would hand them that and they would be happy. Um, and um, and then uh, we brewed uh, an American style pale ale in a, a short, well, a series that went for a little bit of time in the early days. Um, there is a series called uh, the Only Series, and it was a single hop American Pale Ale series. So the very first iteration was called Only Ella, and it was mm -hmm. uh, brewed exclusively with Australian Ella hops. Um, and we went through a lot of different uh, single hop pale ales in that series um, until we stopped. That's another story. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, and then we had Deep Steep. And Deep Steep is one of those four beers that we opened Tallboy and Moose with. But um, I mentioned a while back that Dan and I sort of did this nano brewing project before Tallboy and Moose. It was called uh, Make Beer. That was the name of the nano brewing project. And the very first beer that we released as Make Beer was Deep Steep. Um, so this this uh, recipe in particular and this beer um, goes way 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 back uh, it's the original it's the very first beer that we ever brewed uh, uh, together um, even before Tallboy and Moose came around and, yeah. and just before we we start to cruise into Bangkok midnight um, what has, has so this recipe hasn't changed at all have you adapted anything to uh, uh, since since the beginning yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, uh, it's definitely that, uh, let's just say that the, the soul of the recipe is the same. Mm -hmm. If you put this liquid uh, next to that first batch that we brewed as a nano, um, mm -hmm. you know, would they taste exactly the same? I don't, I don't think they would. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it's it's definitely an iteration. The being and and you know, to be perfectly honest, um, we even if we use the same style of malts, um, you know, malt and hops are agricultural products, and um, you know, brewing. I, I couldn't tell you what brand of malt we were using back then, mm -hmm. and so um, I would argue that based on the equipment and the ingredient differences, you know, that alone would produce different results uh, in terms of the finished beer. Yeah. So, uh, and to be perfectly honest, this, this, this beer that we're drinking now, mm -hmm. we're not necessarily like, oh, we have to capture the exact same thing that was that original beer. Yeah. Um, we're, we're sort of, 
like we know what we're shooting for and and i think that what i spoke about earlier about the the balance between malt hops and and chamomile and the way they integrate mm. is is definitely there in this beer and um and the beer presents really well and is is it you know it carries a um you know the right balance i guess so mm. yeah um so yes uh, Let's let's use that as the segue point into the mm. next beer. I mean, so I think it's a really important one to make about yeah, yeah. how you get that balance between flavours that perhaps other brewers and other people don't automatically see. So the, yeah. the Bangkok is, is a bit tight. Mm. You know, yeah, if you if you um, read the label, you know, it, uh, it's a, a black steam ale with kaffir lime and lemongrass, but. Tell us, you know, even just that genesis of the idea. Where did someone yeah. go, you know what? These flavors are gonna go beautifully together. Yeah. So this this I think I think balance is is the key to to a lot of beers, but particularly this and, and, and I guess the way that we think about um beer, uh we try and swing balance in different directions. Um and and this is an interesting uh example of that so um, basically bangkok midnight is the bigger brother to another beer that we've made before called bangkok nights um, bangkok nights is a is basically a five percent version of this this beer is seven percent um, and um, and so bangkok nights was a black steam ale or i should say is a black steam ale with kefir lime and lemongrass it's it's sort of a, a very similar profile but just um at a, a bit cruisier cruisier abv and 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 we decided that um we wanted to amp it up a little bit and um and see how that would play um but the initial intention um in terms of balance is to basically brew a black beer um that doesn't necessarily drink heavy or carry significant weight or roast like a stout might um and so like a uh let's just to deconstruct the mm. the style of black steam ale that's not really a style <laughs> um it's uh a steam ale is a pale beer um yeah. like like mm. mountain goat steam or or anchor steam um it's um off some some would argue that it's kind of a, a steam ale and a California common are basically the same thing. So it's it's kind of like a, a I think it's like a lagered ale. Um and um and so it's meant to be a uh a pretty cruisy, uh lean, uh easy drinking kind of uh kind of ale. Um and so when we first brewed Bangkok Nights, the idea was to make a black beer that that was, you know, pretty, you know, uh, pretty easy drinking in terms of weight and didn't necessarily and was and was nice, really refreshing. And so we wanted to make it uh, not too heavy. And um, and then that's kind of where the idea of the kefir, lime and lemongrass come in. They're really fresh and fragrant and zingy and um, and zippy and um, and and um, all the other Z words. That's yeah, 
and and so they add a real vibrant and sort of refreshing uh element to the beer um and i honestly believe that if somebody were blindfolded they may not realize that they're drinking a beer that is this color right mm. um, and um and so that was kind of if we're talking about balance sometimes when people think about beers that are you know uh really dark in color they think about intense roast uh you know big coffee and chocolate and um and they think about weight and heaviness and mm -hmm. so we were really trying to make something that was the complete opposite of that if that makes sense <clears throat> um, mm. Yeah, yeah absolutely. you might change. Yeah, I think you've, yeah. you've achieved it as well. I think that's the... um, uh, having said that, you know that was the brief for Bangkok Nights, and I and, and this this beer definitely has a little bit more weight to it, just because it's a little bit higher in alcohol. Um, it is it's heavier than the original Bangkok Nights, um, but um, it still carries that kind of that ethos, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I want to ask a question, which is sort of based on. Some, some recent episodes that we've had where we've spoken to brewers about making beers that are lighter in alcohol and how you have to be much more sparing with the flavours uh, and sparing with sort of, you know, how many sort of things you try to load up. Does the 7% allow you to sort of, you know, be a bit more creative and a bit more daring in terms of how much you reckon you can pack in? Or is that just one of those things that some people get in their heads and it's not quite how it works? I think um, there's a couple ways you can look at that. I, I think that um, you've got to consider your customer. And if somebody's going to go for a tall can of 7%, you know, weirdo beer like this, they're, they're probably the kind of person that's looking for a flavor experience. Um, and they would probably, arguably, be the kind of person that's open to assertive flavors and so um i would say that this beer like the kefir lime and lemongrass they are not subtle they're like you know they're hitting pretty hard they're in your face they're they're quite present um there is a i, I do agree that you know uh, if you're if your goal is to achieve a balanced beer then at a lower ABV and a more sessional be ses sessionable beer, um, you're probably want to you're going to want to go a little bit more uh, delicate, a little bit more potentially you know uh, less heavy-handed with some of the you know um, with with some assertive flavors. Um, mm -hmm. But there's always exceptions to the rule. You know, um, you can make um, you can make a a a five percent beer that's been you know dry hopped to high heavens and it will be delicious if it's made well you know mm -hmm. like you can there are, out of your, can i ask out of your yeah. own now that you've got five years of brewing under your belt and many of the people who are going to be listening in are obviously your fans do you have a couple of examples of that out of the beers you've made over the years where you just sort of went, no, we can get away with a, oh, I'm thinking of some of those goblinoids and things like that, which were, you know, lots of, you know, lots of hop, but not yeah. 
not huge alcohol, am I right in remembering? Like seven or eight, but not, you know. Uh, you mean small beers that have been hopped, like? Heavily, yeah. Massively. You carried that big flavour successfully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I just use that as, a, I guess, an example of spitballing. I can't think of a particular beer off the top of my head, to be honest. Um, a small beer <laughs> that's been, like, mega, mega, mega hopped. Um, obviously, yeah, we've done IPAs where we've chucked a lot of hops at them. Um, and, um, yeah, we have some IPAs in the schedule that we're going to be chucking a lot of hops at. Um, I'm just thinking about like, I'm even trying to think of a beer from another brewery that, that does what I've just said. And I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. Generally speaking, um, you know, when it comes to dry hopping in particular, you know, um, beers, uh, uh, brewers tend to, the bigger the beer, they tend to put, they tend to go a little bit harder at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and often that's because you're trying to balance against the malt. Like if you make a, if you make a bigger beer, if you're making a, an 8% double IPA, sometimes you need to throw more hops at it to counteract the the weight of that malt that you've put in. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of like, you know, you see, you see brewers that are making like double IPAs that have 20 grams per liter dry mm. hopping. And, you know, you probably wouldn't brew a 4% beer and dry hop it at 20 grams per liter. Um, Cause you don't, you don't have to do that. Like you can still achieve mega, mega hop character without going that hard. So I guess a lot of people would say that that might be wasteful. Um, yeah, maybe the example I gave wasn't that great. <laughs> well, is, 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 it, is that wasteful? Is, it, is that when it's nice to actually own the brewery and you can just decide what you're going to use and, you know, the, the tolerances for profit or anything else, you know, don't apply to you in the way they might to other brewers? Look, um, we've definitely... Um, we have, I, I can say that we've done some single keg project beers where um, they would not be viable at a larger commercial scale. Um, and, you know, one specific example that comes to mind is like dumping um, like, like many kilos of passion fruit puree into a single keg of beer. And so the scaled up equivalent just doesn't make any sense and and would never work and um you know we've done some stuff like that um but it's at at a reasonable small scale that we can do at the brew pub and just pour a keg on tap for an event or whatever um that kind of thing yeah Um, i just want to oh you go david no oh no i'm gonna go yeah, screw it. I'm going to go. Um, I want to go back to the beer quickly because I think it's a it's an interesting point. It kind of ties in with with the ingredients talk. Um, with a beer like this, uh, when you've got ingredients which really which really could could stand out quite aggressively, like kaffir lime and lemongrass, how do you approach the hops? Do you do you think all right? I've got these hops in mind. These would be okay with like like caviar lime and lemongrass work or do you go the other way and how do you then think about what you're doing with with that in a beer like this um this beer i would say and i've i've just had a little quick squiz at the recipe um Mm -hmm. 
this is this is not this beer is not about hops um mm -hmm. so there are mm -hmm. there are hops in there um but it's not uh designed to be a hoppy beer and it's mm -hmm. it arguably like the hops really take a backseat and are 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 kind of negligible um mm -hmm. in so just to give you an idea of what um what was done with this one there was a 60 minute bittering edition um mm -hmm of uh seven ibus uh with ctz which is um something that we use a fair bit to to bitter beers and then there was a little bit of a whirlpool edition so basically not not much hopping in the kettle beyond that um so there's 60 minute bittering and then there was a little bit of ella in the whirlpool um a, a fairly small amount um to bring uh, and that would have brought another sort of nine or ten IBUs. So, so this beer is is not super bitter. Um, it's about it's about sixteen or seventeen IBUs. And then the kefir, lime, and lemongrass also went into the whirlpool. Um, and and that's it. Um, so so really really simple in terms of hopping. There's no dry hop. Um, there's bittering. There's sort of a, a late kettle addition. Um, that's not particularly massive, and um, and then so those hops are going to take a, a, a bit of a backseat. And um, I guess um, I, I actually I didn't write the recipe, but I'm assuming that Ella would have been chosen. It's got a little bit of fruit and a little bit of sort of a spicy note to it, and um, and so maybe you know maybe the guys thought that would sort of tie in well. Um, yeah. Cool. Brilliant. Um, <clears throat> I think I think now would be a nice time to to move on to birthday suit, or at least talk a little bit about birthday suit. Um, yep, yep. Because yeah, it's it. Not everyone will jump into it and have a whole bunch of it straight away. But I think it'd be nice to 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 work our way to it through it. So I suppose to begin with what is it like, um, yeah so uh it's an ice block mm -hmm. um and that is a i guess an, an ice block uh by definition is um it's a german style uh doppelbach uh, originally uh so mm -hmm. a, a a big multi lager um and it's been ice distilled and so uh what that means is you freeze the beer um and the water content in that beer turns to ice mm -hmm. and the alcohol content of the beer doesn't freeze and so you remove the ice and then you end up with a more concentrated um higher alcohol uh uh intensified version of that original base beer um so for example with with birthday soup what we did was um we we went through a, an extended uh, multiple freeze distillation process. So we froze the tank and transferred the beer uh, off off of the ice uh, five times for our fifth birthday. And um, and so uh, this was uh, this is basically this beer is a COVID baby. Um, so mm -hmm. it's a project that no brewery would would do. Uh, in their right mind um it took an incredibly long time to make 
Um, we actually had to rebuild our glycol system to make it happen. Um, was, that was the question I was going to ask. Yeah. I mean, look, look, can we just nerd out a little bit on that? Because <laughs> I, I love you. I love that. I really want to hear that story. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, um, basically, like I guess. A glycol system is what you use to control temperature in your fermentation tanks. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a reservoir um, at the time. I think it was like maybe 400. Uh, it would have been the reservoir itself was four or 500 liters. But then you've got the literage that cycles through the jackets in our fermentation tanks. So mm -hmm. um, so our, our fermentation tanks, they're stainless steel conical vessels. And then they've got jackets um, uh, around the outside of the vessel. And, and you've got temperature controllers and thermometers in the tanks. And uh, basically the temperature controller tells the jackets to open and close. Um, so when you, if you're fermenting and fermenting is a hot process, you wanna keep your tank fermenting at you know 20 degrees to keep your yeast happy. Mm -hmm. And have a stable fermentation controlled fermentation temperature um and so um if if the tank rises up to say 21 or 22 degrees the jacket uh the jackets open and you flood the jacket with with minus five degree glycol mm -hmm. to chill the tank down again and then and then the solenoid would uh will close up and then you know you're, you're you've got you know, that's how you control temperature and fermentation when brewing, right? Yep. And so um, when making this ice block, what we did is we set the temperature to like minus seven. So basically the, the jackets were open, flooding the tank with uh, minus seven degree glycol and the inner walls of the tank would freeze. So you're, okay. you're trying to freeze the tank. Yeah. Right. And so you'd have uh, water content from the beer freezing on the inner walls of the of the mm -hmm. fermentation tank. And then um, and then what we would do is we would transfer the liquid that's unfrozen into a different tank. Cool. Right. And yeah. so and then you and then you let that water content that froze up melt. You dump it down the drain yeah. and then you go and then you clean and you your need tank. To do it again. You clean your you clean the fermenter that was that's dirty that you transferred out of, <laughs> and then you do it again, right? And so um, this beer uh, this beer took this beer spent months in tank. Um, we we went through so basically our glycol system was undersized to achieve this to the degree that we wanted to. We wanted to hit twenty percent <clears throat> ABV. That was our goal, and um, and so once you get to a high enough ABV, then you need to go colder to get it to freeze, right? Yeah. And so um, we weren't able to go cold enough. So we had to, um, we had to rebuild our glycol system, which, which like, to be honest, you know, it, it was worth doing anyways. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and so, um, yeah. Yeah, so that that took a long time to do, uh, and it was in the middle of COVID lockdowns and stuff. 
So we sort of, I guess you could say that we took our time with it anyways. Mm. Um, but yeah, this, this beer sat cold in tank um, for months. Um, so it went through a very, very long uh, lagering period. Um, and um, yeah, uh, we're pretty stoked on, on, on the results. Um, it was a lot of work and it was, uh, you know, ex very expensive if you were to calculate the man hours and all of that that went into this thing for the amount of volume that came out. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's a bit stupid, but um, it's, it was fun. And, <clears throat> and, 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 and honestly, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of the best beers that, that we've ever made, I reckon. Um, it's, it's killer. Yeah. Can, 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 can I ask? Just yeah, you go. Yeah, my my. Yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of. This is a beer. I, I think I'm right in saying if you turn it over, the bottom sort of has a question mark on it as to how long it goes. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. What would you like it to be doing? So you know, we're recording this. You know, on the last we put, we put five year years on it. the year twenty one, twenty two. But you know, if if people are listening to this podcast in five years' time. What would you like them to be getting out of that that we won't be getting out of it now? And for some of the core rumours, and I'm looking at the you know the ones who haven't injured themselves or who have histories of injuring themselves on this fine day, who've, mm. who've you know invested heavily. You know, I, I I really look forward to drinking one of these little cans every every year for a long time to come. What what do you want us to experience as it changes over time? Yeah, look, I mean. I, I actually forgot, but we, we did put five years on it uh, and um, and it could it, it would be fine after that. You know, it says best before 2026. It, it would be oh, totally I fine. Oh, I had a yeah. question. <laughs> no, no, uh, I don't. Uh, not this one anyways. Um, and um, but what would people what would we want people to get out of it? Probably, um, even though it is it is in the can, um, it, it it will change over time, and um, it will probably take on um, sort of more oxidative characteristics. So there are a lot of sort of port sherry kind of notes um, in the beer, and um, and I would expect those notes to probably intensify. I guess. Um, so yeah, oxygen would certainly play a role over that long period of time. Um, it also, yeah, I guess it, it depends on how the beer is stored over that period of time as well. But um, yeah, it's it's hard to tell. I don't know. I've never I've never tried to age a twenty. I, I've never I've tasted beers that are like you know pretty high ABV, hmm. but I've certainly never experimented with aging one uh, like that. So you wouldn't yeah. aspire to make a beer that was 32%, he said with a leading question? Ah. Uh, <laughs> um, Come yeah. in, Spinner, as we say in Australia, particularly in King's Cross. Yeah, it's uh, so just for everybody that may not understand that leading question, we did put this beer into a whiskey barrel that was really wet and had lots of residual whiskey in it. And when it came out of the whiskey barrel, it was 30% uh, ABV. And um, and so that has been bottled and will be released soon, I think, um, pretty soon. And um, there's our yes. scoop, Warren. 
Yeah, I know. Nice work, David. That was very impressive. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, but a whiskey barrel-aged icebox is still a different beast to, yeah, tactical nuclear penguin. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think it's all, I, I just think it's all good fun. Mm. And they're, they're different. Um, I don't think this beer, look, it's been a really long time since I've tasted tactical tactical nuclear penguin i don't know how similar they would be um there may be some similarities but um yeah i i, I don't know um I, i'm not sure how close they'd be um yeah i think this is better <laughs> can, can, can i before i throw back to warren and warren's going to do some of the audience questions mm. the, the question i guess that springs to my mind after you're saying uh, this was a beer that is very much a product of COVID and the time yeah. that you had to put into it. Yeah. Do, do you ever think you'd make it again? Do you, do you like it? Do you go, yes, I'll do it again? Or is it just so hard? Is it so impractical that you this is genuinely a one-off? Yeah, I really don't think we would do this anytime soon. <laughs> um, it's, it's possible that we'll make it again, um, but it would probably be in a couple of years after um you know we we let, let's put it this way we've still got uh a little bit of uh a birthday suit um in the cellar and we've got some barrel aged birthday suit so uh that, that we're going to release soon and and so you know it's not it's not uh I think the time that we might think about brewing more is when we're sort of longing fondly for that thing that we love that we don't have anymore. And, um, and so we're not there yet. And um, yeah. So, so I would say that, you know, maybe for like, this is, you know, don't quote me on this or anything, but, maybe for like our 10th birthday maybe we'd think about you know brewing something really 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 special like this again you know um yeah mm. yeah perfect answer yeah mm. i think that's a lovely answer uh okay i've so first of all audience questions i've got one and jake is always well, Jake always throws in really good ones. So that's the one we've got. So if there's any other audience questions, throw them in the chat. That's one of the things you can you can do when you join us um, is is uh, ask a question of the brewer um, yourself, which is which is a wonderful opportunity. But while we're waiting on anyone who has any further questions, I thought I might ask Canadian Steve or Mexican Steve, as we're going to call him from now on. Uh, I was going to ask, so you mentioned rebuilding your glycol system, and I'm I'm assuming it's a little bit more efficient. But how has it helped the brewery, and has it directly helped any of the beers that you produce? Yeah. So, um, so, so I mentioned that our our glycol reservoir was like I think it was like four or five hundred liters, mm-hmm. um, and now our new glycol reservoir I think is like. I don't know, like 2,000 liters or something like that. So about so, five times um, as big. 
Um, but it, so but it, it's, it's exponential as well, isn't it, in terms of the effect that it has on the system, from my memory uh, of it. it. It's it's not just the volume of liquid, though. It is also the cooling equipment that comes with that. Um, yeah. And so, we yeah, we installed a new a new chiller um, along with a new reservoir. Um, mm. And it's much bigger and much better. And so basically, um, over the course of five years, we've increased our cellar. Uh, we, we've, we've increased it, uh, added onto it three times. So mm. we started off with three 12 hectoliter tanks. Yeah. Um, and then we added two 25 hectoliter tanks. So that basically doubled our fermentation capacity. And then in a third stage, we added two um, 45 hectoliter tanks. So that doubled what we had there again. And, um, and so our original chiller was really struggling um, when, uh, it, 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 when, so basically when, when a beer is finished fermenting and it's time to get it ready for packaging and carbon, carbonate, you have to, um, you crash the tank, you, you have to drop the temperature from say 20 degrees fermentation temperature down to zero or as close mm -hmm. to zero as possible. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's called crashing a tank. And, and so, yeah, we were sort of, um, we were struggling to crash multiple tanks at the same time. Mm -hmm. And we had to sort of stagger them and do one, you know, you crash one tank and then, and then you'd be ready to to crash another tank and and so that got a little bit uh frustrating when you know sometimes you just want to do multiple things at the same time you yeah. know yeah. um and you know if beers are ready to crash you want to you you, you want to crash them and so mm -hmm. uh keep things moving and um and so yeah we needed the upgrade and it's yeah. definitely helped out a lot yeah and so now we have no issues. And, you know, if you want to take one tank and make it, take it to like, you know, minus 10 degrees or whatever, mm -hmm. we can do that too. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to ask a quick question and then I'm going to just use it as a segue into Jacob's question. But like, so the Blue Jays play baseball, right? Uh-huh. So <laughs> baseball's a summer sport, right? Uh, I guess kind of, yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe. I think you're, I think you're implying it. Because, so like, why do you need a beanie for a, a summer sport? It's not a beanie, it's a hat. Well, it's, it's, uh, look, it's actually, it's the, technical, on top. the technical term is a toque. Uh, oh, really? Yes, it's a toque. No, 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 please, I'm, I'm from the country. You explained yeah. me. A toque is Canadian for beanie. I see. And, yeah, and usually, sometimes a tutu. Uh, uh, sorry, sometimes a toque has a has a pom pom on top too. Um, and uh, so yeah, that's so a baseball toque. So this is a very that's a very Australian question because in Canada it's cold, right? Yeah. Yes. So you need to you yeah. need Except to wear it. You need Isn't to wear <laughs> you need to wear a toque most of the time. Okay. Right? Yeah. So yeah. if you you know whether you have a sports team that's winter or summer, uh -huh. um, or whatever. Um, actually, before I forget, 
I've just got to um, do something very quickly. I'll be back in one moment. Awesome. We'll talk about beanies and hats amongst ourselves. I, or toques, as the case may be. Um, if anyone else does have a question they want Warren to ask or they'd like to ask on mic, it's a great time. Oh. Yeah, and I'm... I'm yeah, I'm... Canadian you, Steve I has thought, returned I with we a were still, uh, great <laughs> And stick it. I thought we were still talking beanies and hats. No, no, we still are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yes, we we certainly are. And yes, we all are well. I'm a huge fan of the Raptors. Um, so yes. I said the Raptors. Is it? I it looks yes, like the Raptors. Yeah. Yes, looks it like is. Raptors. Where's my Raptor? Here it is. Yeah. Um I thought it was a Justin Trudeau kind of thing, but that's a good that's definitely a Raptors cup. Um, yeah, but you see, and basketball, which is a winter sport, people wear caps. So, okay, let's, you know, let's, what I'm, I'm just fascinated. Yeah, did you moment. know that in, in Canada, the toilet flushes <laughs> the wrong way around? It's real weird. No, I've got to try that, though. I've been dying to check that out. Um, and we, that so anyway, that, that segue was supposed to go into um, Jacob's, uh, question because I was thinking Jacob, Jacob's like a relief host, like a relief pitcher. And there's a baseball segue. Jacob, can you please ask a question before I sink this ship? Uh, that's all right. I'll I'll, uh, I'll catch your pitch. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I um I was actually uh, and I guess you know you're talking about aesthetics in terms of the cap. Um, and one of the most notable things of the brewery aside from the beers is your can design and art is just unique and phenomenal and it, it you know sort of, I'm not an art history expert sort of avant-garde abstract sort of style and I, I want to wonder if you could maybe give us a bit of an explanation about its origins the artist and I imagine you were actually quite willing early on which is you know unusual for a brewery you know in its infancy to really invest there and, and you pay dividends i feel and i was wondering if you even knew anything to do with the artist's influences on these cans um so yeah over to you yeah. steve thanks yeah no worries thanks um um yeah so simon is our graphic designer um his um his uh he's a he's a freelance guy and um and and he was a friend of dan's you know when before we started so um when we were first getting started we talked to a different a couple different graphic designers and um and and to be honest like he 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 was you know lots of people were keen um but yeah we just um we kind of decided to to have a have a have a go with him. It was it was definitely a roll of the dice at that time. Um, he is a, a, so he's more of a fine artist than a graphic designer, I would say. Um, and all of the artwork that I saw when we were initially talking to him literally was like you know splotches on a canvas kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was. It was it was quite abstract, I guess, is what I'm saying, um, and um, and and so, yeah, um, it, it, it's a real interesting um, direction that we ended up taking, and it's very very much been driven by his brain. Um, and ha having said that, I think that he's always had a a really strong brief and 
And Simon and I in particular have always talked a lot about where we're going with things and 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 that we've had really really strong communication um and and that's important um simon likes um crude and nude and he likes being really cheeky and i think that shows we we've sort of what do you like what do you like i like i like those things i i find them very entertaining however (laughs) Um, I'm often the more conservative voice that has to kind of pull him back a little bit <laughs> for what's appropriate. Um, you know, we've kind of gotten known to an extent for having, make, we call them dudes, all the characters on our cans. Um, <laughs> and and often there's, you know, a bare bum, if not a couple of bare bums, Um and um there's 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 even there's not just bare bums but there's some sort of bum cleavage and stuff happening here like i i really do feel like if you line them all up over time um in the in the early more yeah in the early days there was some there was some properly rude things slipping through on posters in the venue and stuff like that some 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 pretty crude stuff and and there are some previous labels, like if you look at them in a certain way, you know, you can read into them, I guess, let's say. Um, and, uh, and so Simon loves um, that, that kind of thing, like putting, putting um, some, some funny, yeah, innuendo, let's, let's say, uh-huh. uh, onto, onto labels and whatnot. So yeah, um, his um, his I guess his 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 freelance business or his artist name is C. He's kind of hard to find actually, but it's C. Ma Ba Simon Massey Divalaza is his name, and so S I M A V A C. Ma Ba I think is. But um, from an from sorry from yeah. an artistic <laughs> point of view. Yeah. If he was to like, let's say, find a hundred women, fifty women, it doesn't really matter how many women. It could be five that were prepared to do what he wants to do from his art perspective. Like that's artistic. Like what you're, like I kind of find what you're describing about his he's a beautiful soul i'll tell you that yeah <laughs> he's a beautiful person um yeah he's he's a really funny guy and um he's got a very quirky creative mind and it's absolutely found its way uh into our brand um so yeah it, it's it's one guy that's done everything from day one uh simon and um yeah, yeah, he's. Uh, yeah, he's I, I love, I've got to say, I love the expression of joy on some of their faces. Mm. And I think the the birthday suit cam is a great example of that. But the Can I just make a quite... quick comment, David? Sorry, I just. Well, uh, just does... so. well I could <laughs> mute if you want. <laughs> no, no, please, no. I'm dying to hear. I love that. Uh, no, no. I just, I, I think this is a really good example, like because we talk to a lot of brewers about their designs, mm. and some a bit more on the graph design side, and some are more on the art side, and this yeah. is definitely on the art side. 
Yeah. And I, and I really, and, and I think that's actually at risk of, you know, sounding like a bit of a suck up. This is a tribute to the brewers that they trusted that, you know, because mm. it's a bit brave to go for some avant-garde art on your can and think, oh, this is going to fly. And they trusted it. And it's really iconic. And I think that's a really wonderful thing. That's very kind of you to say. Um, I will pass uh, compliments on, on to the chef for sure. And um, yeah, like we, we've gone through an evolution too. Since, since we started, um, we were probably, when we first started, it was probably more abstract than it is these days. Mm. Um, and and, and um, we've evolved with Simon over the over the that time period and um and and kind of I guess developed and 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 explored a little bit mm-hmm. but but totally like um we wanted to look different you know there's yeah. a lot of beers on the shelf that look the same and look very similar to one another and so we wanted to have um I guess a, a really unique look um and uh, and we thought that was important um and yeah and so yeah definitely that was um you know something that we took really seriously from day one yeah um on our way to wrapping up uh we had crofty uh who had a question and it's a really kind of important one because we we did start off talking about commercial things but you've got Wee Man Kitchen. Do you still have Wee Man Kitchen? Um, oh, I wasn't going to go there. Uh, I was. No. I just thought, yeah, why not? Let's do it. Crofty, no, go for no, it. Because, that, because that, Canadian that, Steve is looking for Canadian chefs and luckily I don't know. Oh, that, that, that wasn't the serious question, um, but I can come back to that. My serious question was, I, I vaguely recall, I'm from Sydney, so I'm not across everything that goes on down in the homebrew groups in in Melbourne, but I believe recently you had some sort of a competition and a home brewer brewed a beer with you guys that you took to either Gab's stand or something along those lines. If I if that's not you guys, then stop me now. Um, we definitely did um, a homebrew event with the Mary Mashers. Um, yeah, yeah, it was. In, uh, in, it must have been with the Mary. Yep. Yeah, it yep. was not. It, it had nothing to do with Gabs. Oh, um, sorry, it was beer. But sorry, it yep. was. It was. Um, it was a. Uh, it was during Good Beer Week, uh, even though Good Beer Week yeah. didn't officially happen. I guess. Um, yeah, not yeah, Good did, Beer Week. As we did. Yeah. We did the event anyways, and it was yeah. a lot of fun. So um, it was a. It was an event. Uh, so last Good Beer Week that did happen. We did an event with them called Hop Rally, and uh, this year we did an iteration of that called Hop Rally Spectrum Analysis. And basically, the idea was using uh, interesting new hop products. Uh, most specifically, um, we were using Spectrum, which is a liquid dry hopping product. Um, <clears throat> it's like concentrated liquid hop resin that's designed to be used as a dry hopping uh, product in in hoppy beers. Um, We also used incognito in some of the beers with them and uh, and we used varietal specific top note. So it's uh, it's another hop product. Uh, So we used a Cascade and a Saz uh, product Uh, and each home brewer took uh, base wort um, from the brewery. So three of them took uh, blood, uh, 
sorry, uh, Blood and Blade, which is a red IPA uh, as their base wort. Um, it's 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 come out of the the hot side as a hot work kit, but it's not been fermented. They took it home and fermented it and went to town with you know additional hopping and dry hopping and fermentation. Um, so three of the uh, brewers took a red IPA base, and then three of the brewers took uh, Bambino, which is an Italian Pilsner base. Um, and then they went with their uh, each got a different hop product. Um, so from memory, I think on the spectrum, we did mosaic and we mm -hmm. did citra. And then uh, we had El Dorado Incognito and Sabro Incognito. And then we had Cascade Top Note and Saz Top Note. And um, so each brewer got one of those things and went to town on their work kit with that, you know, hot product. And yeah, we had some super fun beers. So the yes, winner, uh, um, my, my, my original question actually asked, how often does uh, that happen? And is this a kind uh, of a, a regular thing you do um, with the locals? And um, Look, we usually do, we've done a lot of events with the mashers and usually we'll do something maybe once or twice a year with them, depending on what's going on. Um, but we've done, yeah, we've done quite a few events with them kind of in that, in that neighborhood. Yeah. yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. It's good. It's, it's, it's good to hear about Warren, the Warren, Warren, Let's move to wrapping up because yeah, I think that's a good idea. I really yeah, Steve's, 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 then we can stop recording, and Steve can hang around as long as he likes. Uh, but he's been so generous with his time. Yeah, he has been really generous with our time. We should really, we should <laughs> really uh, reduce the amount of of we in addition uh, reduce the amount of of uh, editing that David might have to do. But yeah, thank you very much, Steve. It's, it's, it's been really great. It's been really fantastic digging into a lot of interesting and, and varied areas um, of, of Tallboy Meese. And yeah, it's, it's great to have been able to celebrate five years kind of in this way with you guys. Um, is there anything coming up you want to spruik and you should also give us your where people can find you on social media so if they want to follow you um they can do that yes um i guess the most immediate and uh what is the at the top of my mind is mm -hmm. uh canada day week so so um so um Every year for Canada Day, um, we usually put on uh, a couple, some food specials and drink specials at the brew pub in mm -hmm. Preston. Um, and this year is no exception. So we've got some really, really, really tasty stuff on the menu. And um, is and there poutine? There certainly is. Yeah. With, like, with the legit, real, like, excellent cheese curds um, that we love it. Along a long time to uh to find and and lock down but um we got them and um so canada day week officially canada day is uh tomorrow july 1st mm -hmm. um, Happy canada day. it's gonna be mayhem at the brewery <laughs> um but uh come on down and or if you want to avoid the absolute mayhem um and I would suggest coming down maybe on Saturday or Sunday where we'll, we, we'll have the menu rolling and um, all the fun drinks and everything. Um, awesome. 
it may also be very busy, but um, yeah, I, I would, we're fully booked out on Friday. So it's going to be, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be mental, but if you like mental, then come down on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we did, um, we did a collab beer with Bad Shepherd, Wayward and Sea Legs, who awesome. are all sort oh, of yes. pseudo semi-Canadian to an extent. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we made a, a cream ale um, with, uh, with maple syrup. So it's a fun awesome. one. Oh, that yeah. sounds great. Yeah, definitely. If you're, if you're going to, to, if you're not going to do anything and you love beer, definitely find your way to Preston this this weekend for for uh, Canada Day or the Canada Day weekend um which will be happening at at uh Tallboy Moose which is awesome and and, um, on, on, and on the socials you know to find out about everything that we're doing whenever it may be um at Tallboy Moose on Instagram and and on Facebook is the best way to uh to keep up to date terrific and yeah, Sea Legs uh, joined us recently, and that was a really that was a really fun podcast. So yeah, we know them. So you go back and listen to that one if you want to know a little bit about Sea Legs. But um, yeah, excited to excited for this weekend for you guys and the craziness that it's going to bring. Um, thank you very much for your your time, Steve. It's been amazing, and and you've been as we as we said, you've been really generous with your time. So. Thank you very much. Um, and to everyone else uh, in the room, have a good night if you're leaving. But yeah, please hang around and and you might be able to shoot a couple of questions before Steve has to go. Thanks for having me. Thanks, brother. Excellent. I don't know why I clapped then. I can just stop the recording and that's... <laughs>